Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast for games on your screen, on your table, even on the shadows on the wall of the cave. I am Daniel Winter. And this is Mark Uessa. How are you doing, Daniel? Good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm riding a high since we uh, went to that live event uh, just yesterday, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Yes, yeah, we actually got to meet in person for the first time in a while, but we are very excited to be joined by a special guest tonight, a, a Twitch streamer, a miniature painter, a cheese lover. Welcome, Jamie Daggers. <laughs> hello, hello. How are you guys? Very good. Thanks for joining us, Jamie. Excited good, to have you on. Good, yeah. Glad, I can like to say here. hello as well. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Jamie, so you have a lot of interest, it sounds like. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the hobby, the hobbies, how you got into streaming? Absolutely. How much time do you have? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess like the easiest place to start is going to be all the way at the beginning. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. My, my family's always been a board game family. We were we were one of those, you know, those families growing up. Um, nothing too serious. Um, we didn't have a lot of like the classics or anything, uh, unless you count like the, the American heritage series, those were big around our house. But, um, then, you know, like as I grew up, I kept playing board games on and off. Catan was big in college. And then from there kind of more into modern board games. Once I started doing uh, cardboard time with Arwen, she was a terrible influence on me because as her shelf of shame <laughs> shrunk, mine grew. So here I am with a basement full of games at this point and um, buying far too many. <laughs> my my game group, I meet with them once a week and they're getting so tired of me bringing something new every week. Mm-hmm, uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going <laughs> to stop. I refuse. It's not going to happen. <laughs> the curse of being friends with someone who's a content creator. <laughs> well, right. And and I'm I'm the one with the games. So it's like, I mean, yeah, we can play, you know, Mansions of Madness for the fourth time this year. But like, do you really want to? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Because again, it was like it was kind of old hat because we had, you know, I had played my whole life growing up and everything. And it was just like, wow, this is so much more than those games were growing up. There's just so much more to it. And then as far as minis go, I uh, I kind of dove into that head first a few years back. I have a yearly event with all my college friends um, on New Year's. And one year my friend was like, hey, check out this cool thing I painted. And I'm like, that's amazing. How do I do this? <laughs> and from there, it was just just buying far too many minis at this point. I actually just spent the past like two weeks cleaning my studio, put new shelves in my closet. And I'm like, I don't even know why I buy more minis. I have so many at this point and half the time, I'm not even painting my own. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a full-time <laughs> commission painter in addition to full-time uh, Twitch streamer and those, those crossover. So I do a little bit of painting on stream. I actually once was a board game FLGS owner for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I was curious through- about that. Let's see. It was about a year and a half ago at this point. Uh, I bought into a, a local game store. It was more of a club and we were he was trying to turn it into more of a store. Um, mm-hmm. I have a marketing background, so I was like, yeah, absolutely. Sign me up. I'm, I'm, I'll help with that, but also, you know, have a vested interest in it. So a year went by. I was finding a lot more joy in the content creation, the commission painting part of things and found that, you know, they were distracting from the store mm-hmm. part of it. So I... Um, I sold kind of back my share in the store and just sort of backed away from that and pursued this full time. So I, I've worn a lot of hats over the years. Um, actually, I also just recently started working for Weird Giraffe Games. So I've yes. been doing that now, too. Um, I guess at this point, I'm just collecting more things. I've gone from collecting board games to collecting like board game hobby jobs. 
<laughs> so, Gotta collect them all. Uh, yeah, like I don't know where that you're preaching to the choir collection <laughs> ends, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, hopefully not anytime soon because I'm enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah, I was curious how that affected your gaming habits. Like, I've had a couple of friends run uh, game stores at least temporarily, and basically, when you're running a game store, you have no time to actually play games. It isn't the dream that a lot of people make it out to be? <laughs> it it's strange because I would say that. No longer being at the game store, I play far, far more board mm-hmm. games, but I play <laughs> virtually no war games, whereas uh, the inverse was true okay. when I was at the shop. Part of maintaining the community there was being a person that people could come and play a game against or something, and I had to be up on all the knowledge in order to sell the product. So it behooved me at that point to play the games that they were interested in. And I don't think I've played a single one since I left the <laughs> shop a, at this a point. Dedicated space, that, that yeah, right? Uh, that's a that's a big factor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to Adepticon, so that will change this year, inevitably. But um, yeah, it, it's just been it's been a weird year. I think for I, I think that goes for everybody. But mm-hmm. it's it's been just so cool to like find the different outlets and like being able to come on stream. Sorry, on, on, on the podcast with you guys. And, you know, like little guest appearances here and there have been really fun to investigate those spaces and get to know people. It's just such an awesome industry. And I, I wouldn't trade what I'm doing for the world at this point. It's, it's a great time to be part of the hobby and seeing it flourish and evolve. It's wonderful. That's a big part of why I'm, I'm a content creator myself is there's, there's so many other awesome people doing it. <laughs> Something Armin and I talk about a lot is that we we love being at conventions because, you know, it's a public space where we don't really have to worry about our identities or anything like that. Um, we can just exist in that space. And and our hobby is so it's it's almost self-selective. Um, it does such a good job of, of maintaining this like really nice homeostasis of like everybody's kind of just there to play games and that's enough, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of wonderful people in this hobby, um, in this industry. And that continues to be true and uh, is demonstrated in spades every time, you know, we go to a, a different con or something like that. So that sounds fantastic. You're, you're a true Omni gamer uh, for coming from a lot of <laughs> angles. Our first, I think our first game store owner and one of our first war gamer guests as well so it's it's a real pleasure to have your perspective coming in on this episode i appreciate that usually the 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 people in in board gaming are like hey war games who needs them you know (laughs) no i have a i haven't had a lot of firsthand experience but i have a great deal of respect obviously war games have been around since like the napoleonic era so obviously the dna is in there somewhere right and then there's like the, the craft and the hobby side of making terrain and miniatures painting obviously which you have a lot of experience with you know you, you can't dismiss uh, that it's a huge part of the hobby and a really fascinating part as well definitely and and there's just some really interesting shared dna um, across the board i've been playing war chest and it didn't it didn't strike me until someone kind of called me out and they're like oh you're playing a war game that's a board game and i'm like that's exactly what it is isn't it like there's so many weird crossovers like even in something as simple as like a worker placement game like i don't know like creature comforts you know like it's this cute little (laughs) game with these with these adorable illustrated woodland creatures but there's there's some war game dna in there i bet i bet if you look close enough there's something there's something gritty in there (laughs) absolutely you could uh you can point to those like those funko pop uh, skirmish games and then even something like (laughs) Uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, it's it's become so much more of a miniatures a skirmish game than when I used to play, you know, just with like theater of the mind, right? It's, uh, you know, you got your grids and your action points and your maneuvers and this and that. And the it definitely crosses over. 
you know, it's far from universal, but there are definitely there are schools of thought in both that kind of transpose to one another. And I think having that diversity, as you mentioned earlier, being an omni gamer in this case is super valuable, um, especially as I move more into the um, production and like more professional side of gaming. You know, like I at some point hope to, you know, develop my own games or at least help in the development of it. I'm hoping uh, this year to teach myself some illustration. It's, it's been a really great reason to pick up more of like the hyper focuses that I lose myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's the great thing about board games. There's so many different little experiences you can get without needing to like overcommit to what like wargaming just takes so much time and energy and money, but you can still get those experiences in board games alongside card games and, and, and miniatures game, like other miniature storytelling games and, and all kinds of experiences all in, all in one. It's kind of a, a, an industry for, for people who are like, you know, like the Island of Misfit Toys kind of thing where, where it's like people who've just sort of gathered around the, the fact that they don't really have, you know, a place that they necessarily fit into maybe professionally. And and I'm finding that everyone I talk to in the board game industry that works in it professionally is like, oh, yeah, I used to do this or, you know, like I used to work, you know, at a restaurant or this, you know, like and now I've transposed that talent over to this particular thing that somebody just hired me for and it's like (laughs) figuring out as i go and i'm like that's wonderful that's so cool uh it's a place for first and second and so on and so forth uh uh, chances for people you know goes to university to study board game marketing (laughs) (laughs) right exactly not yet All right. Well, how about we uh, move on and talk a little bit about some feedback from uh, our last episode? Yes. Yeah, we got a, we got a couple of questions. We want to try and get the community a little more involved. We'd love to have people playing along with us. So in the last episode, I think really hit a nerve. A lot of people absolutely adore Hades, obviously, and there's been a big uh, uptick in that with the sequel announced. So we had a couple of comments. And most of them touched on the God Mode it's basically an accessibility option. I think we discussed how there's this difficulty slider once you beat the game that you can really customize how difficult you want to make it. But there's also God mode in which when you die, the game just becomes slightly easier. And it doesn't punish you at all. You can just turn it on and it just makes it slightly more inevitable that you will beat the game. I think a lot of people have, <laughs> have made good use of that. And we had a comment from Kyle at Give Pause Hobby who said... Just finishing up the Hades episode of the podcast, and i got to say, as someone who struggled to finish the game, I'm now at 48% god mode damage resistance, and only with that was able to score my first two completion swords and fists. Uh, after listening to you guys, I want to play it some more. Such a wonderful game. It helps a lot, lot more people access it, especially since the story and the characters are such a big draw of that. If you hit that wall of difficulty, this this helps you get over that wall, basically. So uh, that was something I meant, I meant to bring up, that that's another great accessibility option. Oh, that's so great. Uh, Jamie, have, have you played Hades at all? Oh, I, I love Hades. I love roguelikes in general, and I have not gone back uh, to try out God Mode. I, I, I am definitely the kind of person that appreciates a challenge. I love co-op games where you know you're almost guaranteed to fail like where the win rate is you know in like the 20s or 30 percent but the problem is as i get busier with all the aforementioned projects that i take on i can't dedicate that time anymore exactly yeah (laughs) as much as i want to as much as i like i would love nothing more than a weekend of just beating my head against the the furies or something like that 
there's just no way I have the time anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I need to go back and try God mode because I didn't, I never, I never had a successful uh, escape. Ooh, okay. Same yeah, with me, Jamie. Great same content with towards same the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that mode existed, so I'm going to give that a shot and finally do my first completion. It, it was added at some point later after launch, but uh, yeah, it helps a lot of people escape Hades. So you know, I don't think we're doing some news this week. There's still not been a lot, but I thought we'd take this opportunity to discuss a couple of our favorite board games of last year. Last episode, we discussed our favorite video games. Now it's time to, to talk about what, uh, what's been on our table. So not necessarily games released in 2022, just games new to us that we uh, really enjoyed. Uh, Mark, did you have anything in particular in mind? I took a look through the top 100 2022 games on BGG, and I've not played a single one of them. <laughs> so I won't, be, <laughs> I won't be listing any experiences of those. But I sort of took the assignment in a different direction. I decided to list some games from 2022 that I'm looking forward to playing. Okay. So first off is a title called uh, Stars of Akarios. So mm, this oh game yes. is from British Columbia-based uh, publisher Oom Games. I interviewed the designer, Brendan McCaskill, on stream at one of the last, I think it was at the t- last TCTC convention. He he really sold it to me, and it sounds really uh, cool as a kind of campaign-based, uh, you know, space trekking fleet management game. And the production just looks fantastic. So I'm excited about that. Have you guys had a chance to play that one at all or see it? I- I've seen it. I have not played it. It, it definitely has a, a very significant board, like, table presence. <laughs> yeah, those ships look beautiful. And you, Daniel? Yeah, I, I saw it. Um, they, were, they were showing it off at uh, Shucks this last year. They had a, a, a de- demo copy there, and it's yeah, definitely a stunning game to look at. There's some really cool tactical dogfighting with, with the ships. And I, I do like a good story game, obviously. So, right. yeah, I'm curious what they push, they're, they're putting out. Yeah, and highly rated on BGG, too. And then, because I haven't experienced these next few games at all, I'm just going to blast through them quickly. Uh, I'm interested in Frosthaven. I think it's uh, made some interesting improvements upon just the... arriving right now. <laughs> right, upon the, you know, the core mechanisms of Gloomhaven, and then uh, whatever that Target-branded version of Gloomhaven was. Uh, Jaws of the Lion. That's right. Anything that's more streamlined, I'm excited for. Uh, there's a title called Frostpunk, which is based off of a video game which has a mm-hmm. cool kind of end-of-the-world post-apocalyptic theme, so that's kind of exciting from a thematic side. And I'm just going to list a couple more titles. ISS Vanguard looks really cool. Uh, yes. It, it just looks cool from productions. I, I, I know absolutely nothing about it otherwise, so I'll just <laughs> say that. I know uh, Aaron, our previous guest, has uh-huh. been playing that and, and quite enjoying it so far. Oh, cool. And the last game I'm going to mention, it's a re-skin of a game I've played before called Marvel Remix. So Marvel Remix is based off of a a little tiny card game called Fantasy Realms. Fantasy Realms is really cool. It plays really quick. Uh, It's a sort of a a hand management game. plays short and sweet. I think the base theme is pretty (laughs) ho-hum, you know, really (laughs) stereotypical stuff. So might be cool to put together my Fantasy Avengers lineup. Excellent. Yeah, I've I've, uh, I've not had a chance to try that. I keep getting Fantasy Realms mixed up with... Is, Star, is Fantasy Realms the same as Star Realms? No, no, no. They're quite different. Star Realms is a deck builder, and Fantasy Realms is a hand management game. So you have something like okay. 10 or 12 cards, and you only ever have 10 or 12 cards. You're you're basically picking right, up and right. choosing which, which arrangement, which combination to keep by the end. Yep, so that's the end of my list. Okay. 
Jamie, any highlights of 2022 or um, <laughs> looking to the future for you? Big ones for me. I, I guess I'm a sucker for anything with minis. So, uh-huh. you know, when when Flamecraft came out, like weirdly enough, I wasn't super aware of it until I was I was watching a stream. Somebody was talking about it. I looked it up. I saw those dragon minis. And before I knew it, I had the, I had the deluxe edition on pre-order. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of the game, I enjoy it enough. I wouldn't say and I mentioned this, I think, before. I, I don't know that it's doing anything like super revolutionary, but nevertheless, no. it's still very fun. Um, it's just light in in the right way. It, it's really nice because whenever the stars align and a game is themed in just the right way, I could convince almost anyone to play it. Exactly. Um, even if factor. it's yeah. exactly. And so like, even if it's a little bit heavier than, than they would normally enjoy, uh, I can bring it to like my in-laws and be like, Hey, let's play this game so that I have nothing against party games, but it's like, we can have a night where we don't play a party game for once, you know, <laughs> like you can see a bit of my world for once instead of, you know, like, I don't know. So Clover is really popular and I love so Clover, but like, you know, every once in a while I want to play something a little crunchier with them. Cause I know they can do it. I believe in them. So Flamecraft definitely fit that bill. I, sorry. I, I, um, I, I didn't have a chance to try that one and I, it, it wasn't everything revolutionary as you say, but it, the, the theme does go a long way. And I, let's look at Wingspan, and I, which I think is surprisingly heavy uh, considering just how widespread, the, the love of that game is so which goes which goes to say that th- theme is can be a huge means of sort of bringing people into that hobby uh absolutely and, yeah i think flamecraft is, is a great example of that and my my parents actually got into more modern board gaming through wingspan which uh-huh. again it's like <laughs> even going back and playing wingspan i'm like continually impressed by how many people that game has convinced to play heavier games. I, I still struggle to wrap my head around that game sometimes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's It's got k- kind of deck buildy, engine buildy elements to it. Like, again, there's a lot of DNA there, but it's just, it's such an interesting phenomenon that that game of all games caught on, <laughs> you know? Love birds um, and dragons. And I do feel like <laughs> in a different world, that game could have been Flamecraft. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in a parallel universe or something. I played a lot of Moonrakers last year, Ooh, um, okay. which is a wonderful game. And I'm really excited for the Titan box to come, which is their recent Kickstarter. Ivy Studios is just one of my favorite. They're always super kind and, and very generous with like, they gave me a, a Kickstarter copy of Moon, Moonrakers, like when I first got started as a content creator. And it was something that just stuck with me. The art on that game looks fantastic. Oh, it's beautiful. It looks, it's yeah, just so stunning. unique. And they've done that again and again with like failed fate and mythic mischief. Everything has such Mm. a unique design to it. And yet I haven't found a, like a really weak game from them yet. I played veiled fate for the first time this past year. I didn't really wrap my head around it, but like I still need to play it a little more, but yeah, mythic mischief is also on that list. Again, minis you're going to, you're going to see a theme Uh here. Uh Um, I'm trying to think of what else uh, I played a lot of, not a lot of, not nearly as much as I'd like, but I played some Burn Cycle. Chip Theory is another favorite of mine. And yes. oh, um, yeah. <laughs> we were mentioning it before, I guess if we're counting games on BGA, I, I have to mention Gizmos. At this point, 
I need gizmos in the morning as much as I need coffee. <laughs> uh, it's like my breakfast game. So I play as a warm up to start my day, you know, at this point. <laughs> so it's it's become a bit of a problem. That and uh, Arnak. I've been playing a lot of Arnak. Too. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Can, we'll, we'll, cover, we'll cover a little bit of Arnak as a, as a bit of a prelude to our main segment, I think. I love it. <laughs> Excellent. I'll just mention a couple myself. So yeah, I, I, I'm struggling to think of any 2022 games I played myself. Uh, I'm mostly still catching up on 2021. Uh, but one that did really stand out for me is Verdant, the new offering from Flat Out Games. We've covered Cascadia here before, which is a, a still a favorite of mine. But Verdant, I really find, is the sweet spot for me between the sort of flexibility and and accessibility of Cascadia and the, the really tight, punishing puzzle of Calico. And Verdant fits so- somewhere in between those with uh, it's got some really tricky decisions to make with this grid of cards that you're, you're having to fit within this predetermined grid, but still some flexibilities as to how you're going to go about prioritizing and, and where you're going to make a compromise in placing your top cards and tiles. So that one's, that's, uh, that's one of my favorites. Have, you, have either of you played that one? No, that's the, is that the Phil Walker Harding one? No, it's, it's from Flat Studios, the sort of design collaborative there. Molly Johnson, Sean Stankiewicz, and Aaron Melbourne, I think it is. The three okay. of them, the main team there. I'm picturing the the booth right now. and It, 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 look, um, it looks very much like Wingspan, but it's plants instead of... Um, yeah, actually, uh, now that I look at the plants. artwork, <laughs> I think I remember. This is the one with the plant pots, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, okay, now it's coming back to me. I've played this game exactly one time. I think it might have been with you, Daniel. I think the spatial puzzle to it. It was uh, pretty crunchy and fun. It, it occupies a similar space in my mind as like there, there's a couple different plant themed games that I always get mixed up. Like Garden Bow came out last year ish. Yes, Maybe yeah. it was the year before. I don't know. The, the past two years have been a blur. Um, <laughs> uh, and then there's the, the the Phil Walker Hardy one I'm thinking of. Yes, that's another yeah. like uh, target title I think. I don't recall the but name, but I know the one you're talking about. Yes, <laughs> I always forget the name of it too. But yeah, it, it's um, it's a very popular theme right now. <laughs> We've all been isolated at home, surrounded by plants, <laughs> and so yeah. everyone's really in the trying to keep right them now. alive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, in terms of something, that, one of the, he- the heavier games I got really into this last year was Clinic Deluxe. So this is a remaster of uh, an older game. Even this, even this remaster came out a couple of years ago, but I, I finally picked that up and have been gradually working my way through all the expansions. But this is basically emulates the experience of one of the old, like hospital simulator games, like Theme Hospital or Two Point Hospital you're physically building out a space within your hospital and you're, you're bringing in patients and doctors and, and trying to efficiently move them into the right rooms to cure them. Really dark black humor in very cynical about the, the nature of the, the healthcare system, like how you have to, well, it, it sort of subtly encourages you to bring in patients and then wait for them to get more severe before treating them because then you get more money. <laughs> Yeah, some some very sort of very dark humor in that one, but I, I really like it. It's a real sandbox of a game. I always lo- love building out spatial like rooms and, and it's, it's physical spaces, building out a physical space and really playing in that sandbox, which, which is always a lot of fun. And uh, one other quick little game I want to shout out is called Mooncake Master, which is by Daryl Chow, uh, published by Oregame. And I, this came in, initially had written it off as it looked like a very light, party tile laying game and it's which isn't really i don't really get to play many party games i'll put it that way uh my group tends towards 
tends towards big, big experiences. But Mooncake Master just grabbed me that I, I'm sort of forcing everyone to play this now. It's basically you, it's a very simple tile laying game. You're forming mooncakes with you're putting like quarters of a mooncakes together with trying to fulfill basic uh, scoring conditions. But you're it, it plays simultaneously. You you grab three tiles and you pass one to your left and pass one to your right and you keep one in front of you. And so it's just playing very snappily and very quickly and you're sort of vaguely glancing at each other's boards to to get an idea of what they're doing. So just just, just some interaction uh, and it's always great fun. I've, I've taken it to a couple of cons now and everyone has really enjoyed that one. So that, that's been a blast. It's Mooncake Master. You taught me that one. I played it exactly one time. It, it looks very <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, nice and cute to that square box. Yes, especially as we're coming into the, the Chinese New Year. It's, <laughs> I've had a couple of friends want to play that one to get into the theme. Perfect. Why don't we go from the past and look a little more into the future, and or the, the present, I should say, <laughs> as to what we've been playing lately? Uh, Jamie, why don't you start us off? I mentioned earlier Arnak has been a big one. I, I don't know why I got, like, a, the other day I just got really set in my mind to be like, that's the game I'm going to get really, really good at this year. <laughs> I couldn't tell you why. And then yesterday on stream, I actually got to, uh, I did a little bit of solo uh, One Deck Galaxy. Ooh, so that was one okay. I really wanted to pick up at PAX and I passed on it. And then I was actually teaching painting at a convention up in Michigan over the weekend. And I went to their local game store and they had some copies and I was like, okay, this is a sign. Um, <laughs> so of course I grabbed it and then I played it on stream last night. So that was a lot of fun. I can't wait to get back into that one. It's it's a lot more puzzly than um, One Deck Dungeon. There's a lot more going on with the decision space in that one, which I really appreciate. I've come to realize that that is a feature in games that I value above almost everything. You know, I love when a game has a really, really simple core mechanic, but the, the decision space is really where all mm-hmm. of the heavy lifting happens. War Chest has been a big one. Uh, that one, my partner and I picked up at that con we were at just on a whim and started playing and loved it. I ordered a copy and then uh, Orléans. We were playing Orléans as well, which Ooh, was an instant hit. I mm-hmm. love that uh, game. I cannot play that oh game my enough. God. <laughs> I had not heard of it at all. And my friend brought it to the table and he's like, hey, we should give this a shot. I just got the co-op expansion. My partner's not huge on heavier games, uh, but she was hooked. I mean... <laughs> he had to put it away because the, the con had gotten busier on the second day. And he's like, we need some table space. Do you mind if we put it away? Because we didn't finish it the night before. And I've never seen her get like this before. But she was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's OK. And I'm like, wait, you really wanted to like keep going, huh? <laughs> like you really liked it. And I was just I, I was blown away. It was not a game I ever would have like picked out for her. But she loved it. I loved it. I, I cannot wait to get my hands on that game again. Played that a while back, but I, I I was spoiled where someone had had the like fully deluxified version with all the the uh, the, the acrylic tokens. Yeah, and like once you, once you experience a game that's like fully deluxe, you can't just you can't go back to just the regular. <laughs> yeah, that's, version. Oh, that's where we're gonna be because we played it with the you know like the the acrylic tokens from kind of like Quacks. I'm gonna be out a lot of money when I finally uh-huh. finally uh-huh. pull the trigger on that game. <laughs> Okay, Mark, uh, any board games that on your table? Speaking of Wingspan, I own a copy, a physical copy, and I played a uh, smattering here and there. I own the digital app on iPad or something. But I just recently played a couple of games on VGA, and the new implementation I think is pretty good there. You definitely don't learn how to play the game there because some of mm-hmm. the, you know, the smaller details like the 
the round based goals and uh, you know even just finding where the resources are is a little <laughs> bit packed in there it's a little bit crunched uh, ui wise but i thought it went really smoothly and it actually plays better than the steam app because the steam app commits this like horrendous sin of user interface it hides each row in a separate tab oh so you cannot oh. see your whole card layout at once unless you bring up this separate interface but it's quite unintuitive and really backwards so kudos to the wingspan on bga because i find it quite playable and it's you know it's a breeze to play obviously it's popular that game popular for a reason <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been revisiting that one recently too. Um, and when I was back in Australia recently, and and getting nostalgic for all the Australian birds, I wanted to, to revisit my, the uh, the Oceania Oceania expansion, which I had not tried yet. So uh, I've been having fun with that too. Uh, Jamie, have you had a chance to try out the BGA implementation? I have not. Um, as I mentioned, that that is like the <laughs> I bought that game for my parents on a whim, and they played it every day for a month uh, at least, <laughs> and then you know on and off after that. And so every once in a while, they'll be like, hey, we should play, we should play. So, you know, every holiday or birthday or something like that, I get them the new expansion. I've gotten them like the broken token insert and stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of wingspan history in 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 my past year or so, but uh, I have not, I've not gotten a chance to try it on BGA. Do they, uh, do your parents beat you every time you play now? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of my curse. <laughs> That feels like my curse because like I pick up on games really quickly. And so I win uh, for like the first week or so. And then once other people start to figure it out, I never win again. So Uh that's okay. (laughs) I I like I just like playing. I I care less and less about winning the more I play. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll just mention one more board game, which I happened to play last night. Uh, So I mentioned that I went to an event here in Vancouver at the new board game cafe turquoise goat yeah it's a strange name but it's a pretty hip place and uh, (laughs) i enjoyed my first visit there shared some uh, pics on instagram i got to play a game we've been talking about recently called rebuilding seattle so this game is yet to hit retail it's by designer quinn brander which if you've been paying attention was our guest on the very last episode of the omni gamers club I had tested this uh, years ago uh, a couple of times, and I've given some feedback. Uh, Quinn told us all about it last episode, so I won't go into depth about it. But I played it. I enjoyed it. It was fantastic, and the production is great. I think the art is by the artist of Santa Monica. Mm, okay. Yeah, I picked that up this weekend, actually. I have not played it yet, though. Oh, nice. I admire that game from afar. I haven't played Santa Monica, actually, but I, I love the card art. The art and graphic design for rebuilding Seattle is nice and clean. And it was just a real trip to get to play the the final version. And I played with two brand new people to the game and I came in last place. So, you know, I'm doing great as well (laughs) (laughs) on the winning front. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. Yeah, I, I had a chance to play that at Shucks and really enjoyed how there's lots of uh, lots of moving pieces in that game. You pu- you pull a lever and like two things move elsewhere in the game, and you've, you've got, you really have to balance multiple factors acro- across your your city there. Uh, and it's like dual level tile laying, which which is which is always fun. So yeah, I uh, I'm looking forward to that releasing soon. Absolutely. 
So in terms of board games, I've been playing a lot. So I'm going to have to keep this brief. But the last episode, I mentioned I was about to run out the door to OrcaCon down in Seattle, my first time traveling to a different country for uh, for uh, board game conventions. So that was a lot of fun. Mostly, it was just a great time to, to to meet with people, other content creators, and just industry contacts. It's not it's not a huge convention by any means. It's mostly just about playing games. Uh, but it was a, it was a super inclusive and diverse event like they put a lot of focus into making everyone feel comfortable there wasn't there wasn't just like pronoun and orientation badges there were also badges for like do you want people to come and talk to you like no leave me alone don't 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 come and talk to me and like a quiet quiet room to go in and hang out there and there was a huge range of of of, of people there uh so it's great to see everyone having a space where they feel comfortable so yeah and it was great great to meet some some friends down there we had uh i spent most of the con hanging out with phantom meeple joe baker meeple Uh, abby and uh jess ccg they were hosting those are are like three of my favorite yes oh they're amazing (laughs) (laughs) and they were hosting this little community showcase for all like smaller local uh publishers or sorry designers a chance to show off this, some of their games. So I was, was hanging out there and uh, yeah, got to, got to try some new stuff. Uh, one, one of the highlights was Wicked and Wise from uh, from We Giraffe. <laughs> but Tessa was, was there showing that off. And I, I'm not into trick-taking games, but I'm, I'm really starting to get the itch. And and this was this is a really cool twist on trick-taking and it's a, a team-based game, sort of asymmetric team-based game so one person is playing a dragon and they're like playing the tricks that they're trying to win tricks and the other person on their team is the mouse that's playing these action cards to basically feed the dragon sort of treasure to sort of give them the right cards in order to win the tricks or, or, or lose the tricks in some cases. Uh, so some really clever, so clever, clever iterations on trick taking there. I, th- I think I still need to start out a little simpler, uh, not having much experience with trick taking. But I, I can definitely see the, the appeal to that one once I've uh, <laughs> familiarized with myself with the genre a little more. Obviously, I have Wicked and Wise on my shelf. I have not gotten a chance to play it yet. I love trick-taking games. They're up there with like Roll and Rights in terms of probably <laughs> the biggest selection of, of games in my collection. And just the dynamic of the mouse and the dragon is just such a cool concept. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've heard as a new player to trick-taking games, it's you're almost better off playing as a dragon because your whole okay. goal is just taking tricks. You know, like yep. that's the whole the whole core of your gameplay. Uh, whereas the the mouse is trying to like constantly like alley oop. You know, your your <laughs> your tricks there so for theory you. crafting the game a little more and playing support. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's just such a beautiful game too, and they they did such a good job mm, with all the yes. extra components and stuff. Yeah, it's wonderful. I cannot wait to get that. And it seems like it'll play very differently at different player levels, which I always really yeah. like to. Yeah, T- team games can be hard uh, is, is one issue. Like my my game group tends to be pretty resistant <laughs> to those sorts of games. Yeah. But I, I, someone was saying you can play like three players as like a simulated AI that you can play mm-hmm. against that's, that's, that plays quite differently and, and still a lot of fun. Yes. And the other thing is, uh, I know somebody who really likes the crew uh, that was like their go-to group trick-taking game before Wicked and Wise came out, and they've they've almost completely switched over. So <laughs> I, I'm excited to get it to the table because I know my family really loved the crew. We do like co-op games, so it's always gonna it's interesting to see one that is like sort of co-op, but also you're trying to beat each other. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, uh, one other game, a quick shout out from OrcaCon. Probably, probably my highlight of the new games I played there was called The Wolves. This this came out from Pandasaurus Games, designed by Ashwin Kamath and Clarence Simpson, I believe it was. Uh, and it's, it looks like a very abstract sort of area control game. You've got a grid of hexes, you know, you're moving wolves around, trying to have control over the, the particular zones. Looks looks like a pretty typical abstract area control game, but it's not, not to actually get start playing that you really see some of the these little tweaks to the uh, how, how the movement is sort of keyed that really bring this this theme to life. So you're each playing a pack of wolves trying to control your zone, but each wolf has a basically has an advantage over a particular zone type. So one has an advantage in the forest, one has advantage over the mountains, and because you have, to, you have to flip these tiles in order to to manipulate a certain type of terrain. And the way that that, that advantage works really makes you defensive over this uh, over your type of terrain. The moment anyone steps into the forest, you get really protective and, and, and start rushing after the opponents. So, yeah, I, I don't really like direct conflict games, but this was uh, quite a lot of fun. We, we really enjoyed the the sort of strategy of this, trying to, to build up your, your wolf pack. And I was surprised. Uh, someone was came over and was chatting to us about it and pointed out, "Oh, you, ha- you know, Ashwin's playing. Uh, what was he? Uh, Dwellings of Eldervale. He was playing uh, the next table over." So uh, I, got, I got a chance to chat to him afterwards and, and tell him how much we enjoyed it. That's got to be a cool experience, you know, like <laughs> being at a con and seeing somebody playing a game you designed. You know, it- <laughs> that's the dream. I guess one, one thing we should also talk about is the, as Mark has alluded to, we, we attended a an event last night for local game designers uh, at, at the Turquoise Goats. And there was about six different groups there, I think, showcasing the game, some some of which are, are published, some are, are still in production. So a real, real spread of games there, but it's great to see the local industry really flourishing, some great success stories there. Uh, I was particularly excited to meet Jay Cormier again and try his new game, Harrow County, which was a really cool asymmetric two-player, not quite kind of a war game in the sense that you've both got, you've got sort of forces, you move around the map, uh, but you've also got you've got objectives you're trying to fulfill, not just not just uh, killing each other, but really a lot of there's several different ways you can score points. So lots of opportunities for sort of some clever plays there, and, and it sounds like there's a lot of options for there's new mechanics added in later chapters and new factions and a lot of customization in that game. So it's a it's a really cool core system that is sort of uh, iterated on in further missions. So looking forward to digging into that one some more. Yeah, I place tested that one too. <laughs> that that box always catches my eye. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a strange box. It has that opening at the top, which I didn't really see utilized. But is it like is it a dice tower? Oh, it's a cube tower. Cube you, tower. you drop cubes in there for for battles. Uh, it, it was a little tricky. Like I, I managed to miss the, the hole several times. But Jay <laughs> assured me that they are the final version will come with a funnel. So for those of you with uh, with big clumsy hands. <laughs> all right, I'm going to do a quick run through of all the games that were there. I didn't get to play all of these, but we mentioned a couple of them. So there's uh, City Builder by Andre uh, Philippe. Uh, Harrow County by Jake Cormier, Rebuilding Seattle by Quinn Brander. There's a game called Teddies and Monsters by Javier Laval and Marissa Molinar. Uh, there was, of course, uh, Ducks and Toe by uh, local designer. Oh, these are all local designers. Stephanie Kwok. <laughs> and then uh, there was Hot Potatoes by Stephanie Wen and <laughs> Wizard Thieves by Jeremy Rosenhart. 
Mm-hmm. A cool bunch of games. Proud to be a Vancouverite. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I tried most of them. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the nitty gritty here, but uh, happy to answer any other questions. I put out a little uh, little TikTok preview of what I played. Cool. Well, I think we've talked lots and lots, so let's roll into our uh, main game. Uh, Daniel, you want to tell us what we're talking about tonight? Yes. Well, uh, I will actually. I asked Jamie what uh, she'd like to to bring to the club, and the suggestion was June Imperium. That is from twenty twenty. Was it's released? Designed by Paul Denon. Right. And there's a few artists listed. There's Clay Brooks, uh, Raúl Ramos, uh, Nate Storm, and the publisher is Direwolf, publisher of uh, a bunch of my uh, games I like, like uh, the Eternal Card Game. So, J- Jamie, you you suggested this game. I don't think you'd actually played it beforehand, though. So, what what brought you to 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 bring this to the club? This one has been winking at me every time I walk through <laughs> the game aisle at Target. Um, it's been a game that I've had my eye on for a really long time. I love the Dune books, um, so of course, mm-hmm. you know, again, I got suckered into the theming, and um, <clears throat> you know, once I realized it was kind of it was my one of my favorite styles of game, which is like the deck builder worker placement kind of vibe. Um, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I need to get in on this. And and it, it was weird. Cause it was, it kind of occupied a similar space as I, I don't, I don't know what the other Dune game is, but I know the boxes part. <laughs> is now. There's five of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, of well, they were, they, they came out around the same time or it felt like they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I used to get them confused because like the, the one, the art style on it is super cool, but it's not the game that I wanted to play. <laughs> Yeah, there, so there is really one to get called June. That was actually a much older game. I think Mark, you were saying it's by the it's by the designers of Cosmic Encounter. Like it's a really old school. That's game. right. Like nineteen sixties. Yes. So they, they did recently come out with a reprint a few years ago. Right. Yes. And it's a very striking yes. uh, new art style. There. Yeah, and that was a, at least three other June games out there since. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit of a Grail game. Actually, they had to Fantasy Flight made a what was it a Twilight Imperium themed version of Dune for a while. Oh, the, uh, Rex. Yeah, that's right. I think it was called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dune, obviously, uh, based on the uh, legendary sci-fi series. I actually um, haven't seen the newest movie. Um, I've uh, read the original couple of first couple of books of Dune books because there's like 12 of those or something. <laughs> and <laughs> the uh, 1980s movie, of course, uh, so trippy, so good. And I think I even watched like the the really low budget miniseries from the 2000s. Oh, Children well. of Dune. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, I think was a little bit more faithful to the books, but uh, uh-huh. I can't say much about the quality of the production. Yeah. I, I've seen the two movies. I've not read the books. Unfortunately, my, my mother, not a nerd at all, but was a huge nerd for June specifically, just, just June uh, had, had all of the books and I, I've, I've inherited, inherited this, the series from her, but I, I tried reading them in my teens didn't have the patience for them. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't mean to go back, <laughs> but uh, that's really funny because it's such a yeah, like it's a very dense series. <laughs> so of all the books <laughs> for her to to glom onto, that that's really funny. Yeah, I feel like the first book is such a is such a speedy read, though. It's well worth picking up because it moves at a nice clip, and it it's just sort of laying the groundwork. Like I guess the first uh, Dune film is doing, although I think the film only covers half of the book. Correct, and the weird thing is you spend all this time with these characters and then basically just never see them again in the rest of the, I mean, you, you see the, you know, the, the fallout of their actions and stuff, but, and it gets really weird, you know, it like goes from this really cool, interesting, like political struggle 
uh, to just this really crazy galaxy spanning, you know, space opera. So it's, it's a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm, I'm just going to quickly do a recap of like what type of game this is. Basically, I think we alluded to it a bit. It's, it's a uh, similar to the aforementioned Lost Ruins of Arnak. It's a, a deck building game. So deck building with cards, of course, but it's also a worker placement game. And then uh, unlike Arnak, this game has a strong sort of, I guess you could call it area majority or like, you know, just combat. It's just one skirmish every round essentially. And that's a really uh, central to the, to the uh, mm-hmm. gameplay. But I was going to say that uh, I mentioned my history with the, the franchise because when I first started to play, play this recently, played it a while back and I looked at all the eight or 10 original factions and I'm like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I don't know who this guy is. Who is this guy? <laughs> I just forgot everyone it. except <laughs> Paul and Duke Leto. Uh, pretty much yeah. everyone else I forgot about. Yeah. And th- there's some on there still that are just like, they are, they're in like the annals of the series. <laughs> the they're like, yeah, this guy would make a really cool. You're right, right, right. This guy would make a really cool person to play. And it's like some, you know, like, derivative character that's mentioned once in a you know in one of the weird like side books that nobody read so (laughs) i don't know if that's true but nevertheless it's 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 fun because i think the the interesting approach is that the i wouldn't say the easiest but i think the most approachable characters to play are also the most recognizable Mm -hmm. which i think is an interesting and very smart design choice once you start getting into those more obscure characters, you know, the, they're the <laughs> trickier one. They're the one and two, they're the two and three stars, you know? Sure. Like. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the, the Atreides, I guess there's the complexity marked on the um, player faction cards and it goes like one, two, three, or even four dots. Was it Daniel? Mm-hmm. I think it's one that has four dots. Yeah. One has four dots. So they're, they kind of give you suggestions for complexity level. And I definitely stuck to the simpler ones. Yeah. I, I played Paul through in my playthrough which was it was interesting because it's they each have their own abilities that are like indicated by a signet ring. Um, it's one of the cards that's in your deck by default. And when you play the signet ring, you get to activate that ability or it's something that's like permanently active. Paul's was the ability to look at the top of your deck. So you always knew it's almost as if your hand size increased by one if you have any draw power. Um, so I found it really useful, but also not super uh, intrusive during mm. the learning process. Yeah, there's a really cool sense of um, asymmetry with the, with these heroes. They all give you slightly different abilities, uh, like both a permanent ability uh, that's sort of ongoing, and then a, a, a second one that comes up whenever your signet ring card comes up. And so they add a cool element of sort of unique player powers. Some some of them are more subtle than others, just for like the, the lower complexity characters. It's not going to add any any additional sort of mental load. Just a cool little bit of flavor. Uh, but there are some others that really mix up how the game is played. Like I think I believe Harkonnen, uh, the Baron, like puts down hidden tokens on certain factions to like you, you don't know which factions he's chosen uh, and until a certain point of the game uh so there's some some cool twists there yeah i i found i really enjoyed the asymmetry of the factions in this game and i think that's a real plus compared to the lost runes of arnak base game which i mm-hmm. played you know dozens of times i uh, and i and i really like arnak too uh i have not played the arnak expansion that does add 
uh, I think they have like leaders. They have kind of like yes, yeah, uh, leaders. Have, have you guys turn make Arnak very asymmetrical? I just picked up that expansion. I've not tried it yet, but I, I do like base Arnak, but it doesn't have a lot of character. Everything feels very arbitrary to me. Like the artwork and presentation is amazing, but it's like it's just a random smattering of resources uh, for, for every, each location and each monster. You don't really feel the character of them. Yeah, the the um, the ex- expedition leaders expansion fixes all of that. Um, I won't say fixes. I guess it adds that because <laughs> it's a wonderful game by itself. I love the base game, um, but it is it's definitely an experience um, that I would recommend. You know, like including in in the game, maybe get a couple plays under your belt and then add the the leaders. But it, it adds that level of asymmetry. Maybe not to the same degree as Dune Imperium did, but it certainly hits some of the same notes. Nice. That's really encouraging the uh, expedition leaders expansion of Arnak because uh, I, I really enjoy that game. I played it a lot, but it's getting a little repetitive, a little tiresome. <laughs> like I kind of just know the flow of it inside and out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I feel like I'm kind of yearning for something more. And I feel like the base game of this, of Dune Imperium gave me a little bit more, even though the base actions are pretty, pretty simple and even a little dry and there's about a dozen or so work placement spots they're all keyed to these different colors uh which are uh placed on your cards and basically you have to you have to spend a card to place a worker just exactly like arnak but it's keyed Mm -hmm. to these specific colors you don't need to for the most part have um, resources in advance but some of them require that you spend a little bit of what is that called the solari or mm-hmm. yes. um or some straight up water or something like or or um spice mm-hmm. of course i thought the three currencies was initially a little confusing uh, i guess you could say the same thing for arnak too it has something like four currencies or something like that if you y- yeah include. but i find arnak the currencies feel very arbitrary it's just or is Ar- sorry it was june feels much more curated like each each of those resources feels like a very unique economy like water is so hard to come by. There's like mm-hmm. two locations to, to get water in this game. And one of them, you have to have, be friends with the, the Fremen faction in order to go there. So it, it feels very true to form, obviously. The spice sort of accumulates gradually over time. Uh, so you, you, you can let it build up to get more before you go in and collect the spice. So it, it, each of those resources feels incredibly unique to me. I thought they added really, really nicely to the theming in a way that, you know, I think atmospherically Arnak does well, but it doesn't, again, if you even have a passing understanding of the story, um, you can see why those decisions were made. It seems mm-hmm. like they allowed the um, the narrative to guide some gameplay decisions, which I love. I love when designers do that. Because <laughs> um, as you mentioned, water is incredibly hard to come by, which makes sense that's kind of the you know the whole thing in in the first dune um you know so you can't visit certain locations without having that water as a prerequisite uh but i also in my playthrough i kind of had a hard time getting the symbols needed to go to the faction locations yeah um yeah so that was interesting too uh but again i like i like that you have to you can go sell your spice to the spacers guild you know so there's like Kind of, I don't know. It, it didn't. I think that was the one resource I felt like didn't click for me. 
was the spice because it was useful. But as you got further into the game, it became less and less important to get the byproduct that you would get uh-huh. by selling the spice. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so Solari similarly isn't as useful later in the game because once you've bought the big upgrades, like this, you can you can spend Solari, for example, to get a, a third worker or to get a, a, a seat at the High Council, which is basically spending power for buying new cards. But once there's sort of these one-off upgrades, and once you've bought them all, there's not really much to funnel Solari into. Which is, I think, a similar thing with the coins in Arnak. Um, yes, they yeah. become less and less useful as you go. I think the only exception would be that um you can use them to travel and and that's not the case in dune imperium yeah so you mentioned the these symbols so that could, that's a really key part of this game like you, your deck starts out with a decent sort of spread of the symbols needed like there's there's three main colors to to go to the the main areas of the board and then there's four factions that each have their own symbol that you, you have to have one of these faction symbols. And they're, they're incredibly rare to come by. Like, it's, it's a pretty big element of the game that sometimes you can feel incredibly locked out of if you are unable to buy the cards that give you those symbols. Knowing in advance that you need to plan around finding a way to get those symbols, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So there's some, it can be very tricky. The, the deck building really matters here. Whereas in Arnak, it felt like just grab a couple of cards. You might, you might see them once or twice. The de- the deck building is like much more involved. It really matters. Like, every card you put into your deck is going to matter quite significantly. Yeah, I found the acquisition of those symbols was probably the hardest part in terms of the deck building for me, because I didn't. It's not that I was avoiding cards that um, you know that had them, but I did. I built. I followed like the the Fremen strategy. Uh-huh. Not not that there was one that I read up on or anything like that, but like. <laughs> I just like the Fremen. So I was like, I'm just going to pick Fremen cards. That's usually how I play a game for the first time. I'm like, I just pick an arbitrary goal and I go for it so I can figure out the game as I play. And that was the way I approached this. And I found that they didn't have a lot of travel cards if you bought just their cards, which again, thematically makes total sense. (laughs) Um, So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree with both of you in the sense that the the deck building is much more interesting uh, in this game. And I think it's simply because you have the opportunity to draw more. Like there's Mm -hmm. straight up spaces on the board that will let you draw additional cards. Uh, One of them lets you draw three cards uh, out of your hand and another one lets you draw two and others let you draw one each. So that much means that you're cycling your hand a lot more. And I think it's it, once you know that strategy that you need to have a few cards with the faction icons on them, you uh, you can leverage that. I, I think you're right. It's not spelled out that if you pursue like one faction and one faction alone that you, you might sort of get locked out. But uh, if there you are some traps in the for a first time player in this game, yeah. Sure. If you if you pursue a couple of them at least, definitely the um, I really underestimated what is it the shipping guild. What, mm-hmm. what are they called? They they give you those like warp icons, right? And that the, gives the you, wild cards, yeah, yeah. Bent folding space. I never, I didn't really understand the, that until my like third or fourth play. But now I think I'm going to try utilizing that a bit more. So yeah, so a little like traps there, like you said, Daniel. But I think the deck building itself, which is you know, core component of this game, is just a little bit deeper and richer uh, to to Arnak. So it, it definitely gets a thumbs up for me. Yeah, I, I don't want to be. Too, I want to like talk about this game solely in comparison to Arnak, but it, it, that game did 
leave me a little wanting in terms of wanting a little bit more from the deck building and a little bit more from the worker placement. And Dune Imperium does both of those. Like there's just a little more depth to both. It is a longer game, uh, but you just you just see more of your cards. There's more chances to really feel like you're being clever at what you put into your deck here. Uh, so I, I quite enjoy that. I feel I feel like to, to to your point too the the richness of the deck building, it makes the purchasing of cards feel a lot more integral to your strategy. Um, you know, like I feel like having again played a lot of of Arnak games here recently, starting to recognize the cards a little bit better. Whereas with Dune, it felt like we barely got through half of the deck mm-hmm. in our playthrough, and there was so much more to go. Every um, card is unique, did, pretty much. <laughs> right, and but I did see a lot of the cards that I purchased. Unfortunately, I bought a lot of the uh, Spice Must Flow cards, so <laughs> I ended up seeing a lot of those, which are great for points, but useless for play. So that was kind of a, a hamstring in my strategy. Yeah, I guess what we haven't mentioned is that all of these cards are dual use. So you, you can play them with a worker to put them into the a, a, a space, or at the end of your turn, any cards you have left in your hand are played in as the the, the reveal phase, and they'll give you a, a benefit. So cards play with the each card will have two benefits, like one benefit if it's played with a worker, and one if it's revealed at the end of your turn. So every single card in your hand has this real push pull sort of decision to make. Do I of, of, of which reward you want? And it can be pretty tough decisions there sometimes. Yeah, and it's uh, the discard. Uh, it's important to note it's Dominion style, so you have to discard your whole hand anyway. At the end of the round, you don't get to retain anything, so that uh, is another reason why you cycle through your your hand in your deck a lot faster than I would say in Arnak. You do. You're you're lucky if you see you know like three quarters of the card that ends up in your deck in Arnak. I feel like, and they don't cycle you know, two or three times over. But depending on how you tune your deck in this game, I think you easily could. You can pursue, um, you know, a card culling strategy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I really did like the balance between using the cards versus discarding the cards. Uh, I mentioned before I kind of followed the the Fremen strategy, which encourages you to pick up more Fremen cards because they have, they have a, a mechanic that when you have more of them, showing at the end of the turn you you get more benefit from that so regardless of if you play or discard them if you get the the card that i relied a lot on was the liet kynes card um so whenever her card showed up you know i would get a ton of resources and i would have a really you know great turn after that (laughs) uh and because you burn through the deck so fast it comes up a lot you know so but again the the downside to that strategy was that i was not traveling much i basically stayed on arrakis the whole time (laughs) But there are a lot of different ways you can approach this game. It's not, like uh, you, you can focus on on the factions and getting getting sort of points from from there. You can ignore the factions altogether and just focus on combat, and or you can go hunting worms, <laughs> as you mentioned, and uh, get points there. So there's quite a different, a few different ways you can really focus on in this game. Well, why don't we Why don't we talk about the combat a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this combat is so. It's so central to this game. And, and, and now I look at the board, it takes up about a quarter of the board. So it, it sort of makes sense there. So um, one thing I like about this game is like Arnak, it is like a fixed length. So in Arnak has six rounds and this game, it has 10, right? 10 rounds. 
Unless someone gets to 10 points first. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it's if someone gets to 10 rounds first and then it ends, or else it's 10, 10 rounds and then the conflict cards are over. So the conflict cards sort of act like a, a game clock, uh, something like uh, through the ages, there's sort of one, two, and three level conflict cards. So they get you know hotter and heavier and more points come out and then the, the rewards are uh, deeper as well. So there's each conflict card has three levels of reward. And that's, of course, for the first, second and third place uh, victor, depending on the number of player. And if two combatants tie, then basically it's it's an unfriendly tie, right? So basically both uh, parties that are tied take the reward of the level below. So if no two people were tied for first, first level reward. Yeah, you both get the reward for second place. And I imagine that the, the person that was actually second place would get the third level reward. Yes, yes that absolutely. is correct. We played four <laughs> player, so that was something that happened a lot. <laughs> so so what, what did you think of the combat system, Jamie? I liked it a lot. It reminded me of a Blood Rage mm. in, in a way. That. Maybe not necessarily with the kind of tug of war that blood rage ends up feeling like a lot of times, but, um, and certainly not, I think as in depth with strategy surrounding losing on purpose or something along those lines, Mm -hmm. but there was definitely ample opportunity to kind of, uh, perform like, I guess like combat feints, you know, where you would (laughs) try to overcommit or try to encourage your opponent to overcommit. Um, because you could only contribute soldiers to the battle using certain actions so you almost had to plan your turn around specific conflict cards. So if there were conflict cards that played into your strategy, you you had to be really careful about how strongly you committed early on because somebody could easily counter that. Uh, but at the same time, you also can only put those units there when you take certain actions. So it was like it was a really interesting approach that that did gen- genuinely feel like it had quite a bit of tactical depth to it. That was super, super satisfying. It's it's very simple in terms of you just you're putting out your cubes, you're putting out onto the into this battlefield. They're worth two strength each. Uh, at the end of the game, whoever has at the end of the round, whoever has the most strength wins the battle. But there, are, you've got these influence cards. These sort of one use influence cards that you that are hard to come by, but can have pretty radical changes on on the on the outcome of the battle. They can give you extra strength or. Like we can, re- you can retreat, like tactically retreat uh, soldiers so they're not killed. You can, there's, uh, what is it? if you reveal cards from your hand, some of those will give you extra strength. So there's, it's, it's, it's really hard to know what exactly other players are capable of when you're committing well, I, I, these battles. I'd like to add to that some of those cards do nothing for combat, which is, oh, yes, yeah, <laughs> even more interesting because then. You know, you're looking around the table who's got cards in hand when you commit to combat and you have no idea, you know, like if they're mm-hmm. if they're holding a card that's going to, you know, get them a surprise victory or something like that. So it 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 really does add a layer of intrigue to the whole situation, which is totally appropriate because it yes. seems like the Bene yeah. Gesserit faction was built <laughs> to, to have a lot of those cards. Right. It really gives you sort of fog of war feel to it. There's these intrigue mm-hmm. cards, I should say. So some of them some of them are just used for actions elsewhere in the game. Some of them are in-game points, and then some of them are, are combat cards. And you can see someone has three intrigue cards in your hand, but you have no idea how many of those can influence the combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the combat system. It's simple. 
to explain, but it's very rich because of those different ways that you can contribute daggers to your your military force. I really enjoyed the combat, and I went in pretty heavy on that. Um, Daniel can probably attest to. It paid to. off, I should say. <laughs> it paid off most of the time, yeah. It paid off most of the time, and uh, the expansion only added a little bit more complexity, but I'm going to hold off on talking about the expansion too much. But I feel like the, the combat is really something that sets this game apart from Arnak. Arnak doesn't have nearly this much direct player interaction. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. it this the combat adds tension. It adds a bit of a gamble because I like to say, you know, I like to play the players, not play the game, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can mm-hmm. you can master mechanically a game and do everything optimally, but you can never 100% master what how to read the other players. So I, I think that this type of combat system adds that extra layer, which makes it a much more juicy and in, in engaging and engrossing uh, experience than, than basically anything an Arnak does. It, yeah. it can be a little divisive, I, I do feel. Like. I, I don't want to be completely glowing on this. It, 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 it feels a little Ameritrash in, 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 in the, the blood rage <laughs> sense of the term, in, in what is otherwise a very tight game. Like the 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 economy, the the resource economy, the worker placements is a like very tight engine, and then the battlefield is just chaos. You've got b- cubes coming in, you've got cards coming down, you've got swords coming in every every direction. It's very hard to predict. It's, it's very chaotic, uh, not deterministic at all. So it can feel not to say unfair, but it, it, it's it. You have to go in knowing what to expect. That it might you m- might go in at the start of the round being really confident, and then someone plays ten swords with cards in their hands that you could never have anticipated. <laughs> it's uh, I wouldn't say it's an unexpected take that angle, but it is. It can feel a little bit. I won't say un- unbalanced because I don't truly feel like it's imbalanced. I think it's actually pretty nicely balanced, but until you actually engage in combat, because I think I waited a few rounds before I even mm-hmm. bothered with that, but until you like actually jump in and try your hand at it, it really, <laughs> it ends up being a lot different than I think you expect at first. I hadn't played this game in a while, and then to train up on the game, Daniel and I played a three three a two-player game, obviously, and the two-player game introduces a, a kind of a, a dead hand, like a, a AI player, and man, was I ever getting screwed by, by the AI <laughs> player. These massive, swingy, you know, just revelations of six daggers and five daggers and out of nowhere, and the next turn, <laughs> zero daggers. So, and it feels so much worse when it's a machine doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have no remorse, you know? It's like, they're you can't... I love the subtle, like, meta-politics of games like this because I that's something I'm, I, I excel at, typically. I, I'm really good at talking. Um, <laughs> I like to tell people I got my BA and BS um, nice. and I definitely take advantage of that uh, with games like this. Whenever you're playing against an AI opponent, they don't, they're not weak against that. Like oh, humans, yeah. they don't care. Yeah. They'll, yeah. they'll screw you right <laughs> over <laughs> with a flip of a card. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the, the tension isn't quite the same there. I, it was like it's a shame that like, you can't really play this two players without that because the the combat is so crucial to this game that you really need that sort of wild card in there. So this really does work. I mean, it, it, it's it's a very simple AI to 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 uh, play. Like there's there's very little upkeep, I, I will say. But in terms of the dynamics, I'd much rather play it with uh, three or four players. 
Yeah, I'm interested to try this like true solo as well because I think yeah, it, it yeah. you do two AI players essentially. Yes, which might be so. you know double the swinginess. So maybe I'll hate it. <laughs> 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 That's another thing um, that uh, this game is makes it a bit different from Arnak as well. Is that I think in Arnak you only ever have two workers, right? I feel like in this game you you clearly have a sort of a transition point when you uh, unlock your third worker uh, for worker placement. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that it's necessary to win or compete. I, I, I think I won with only two workers at one point. It's, it's certainly possible. <laughs> oh, you're being too modest. I think you won that game <laughs> being the only player with two workers. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So clearly, See, I, that was the first yeah. thing I went for. Uh, oh, obviously, <laughs> nice. yeah. I mean, it's, it's very much more a typical worker placement game in that sense too. Like the, every worker placement game has one of those spaces. Get more workers. I, and I the high council that gets you buy the currency to buy more cards and, and things like that. Yeah, I feel like it does really change though. It's not it's not a, on a linear scale like Agricola, where you get your third farmer or whatever, because mm-hmm. you you do get a third worker placement, but your hand size doesn't increase. So you have yes, to be a lot more yeah. choosy about which cards you retain for their placement symbols or which cards you retain for their the reveal. Uh, features so that makes it an even crunchier decision and you know absolutely exponentially makes that uh choice more interesting so i really like that as well i think the 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 only space that i really didn't have any interest in using uh was the mentat space too I, Mm. i i feel like i get the point of it but i just never felt like it was necessary so i don't know if maybe that part of it is like slightly undertuned or what the case is but i you know, I just didn't see a lot of strategic value in in what the point of that space is, which is basically just to delay a turn, essentially. Yeah, it's very situational. A few mm-hmm. times someone took the Mentat, and then by the time they had the chance to use it, all the good spaces were taken anyway, so they had very exactly. little choice. Exactly. Yeah, you, you really have to go in with a plan, uh, or, have, or at least have a backup as, as to what you can do with that. So to, to clarify, I should say the Mentat is basically, you spend a worker to basically get... And to get a worker, a neutral worker back that you can then spend later. So it's a good way to bide your time if you want to wait and see what other people are going to do first, which is generally a bad idea in a worker placement game. But uh, the, the, the big difference here is that, especially for the battlefield, if you want to see how many people are going to, is everyone going to commit to the battle before you decide what you're going to commit, uh, you can have a sort of last chance of retaliation there. Yeah, speaking of weak uh, worker placement spots, I think there's uh, a few people complaining about the top right uh, actions of the board. So if you can imagine them, they're the ones that let you convert. Uh, you you go there spending triangle sha- uh, shapes. and so they, You spend spice for Solari. You spend spice <laughs> for Solari for one of them at a sort of ratcheting scale. And then one of them just gives you straight up Solari. And right, I, f- yes. I feel like those were sort of like throwaway actions. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely necessary at some point of the game but it's not very inspiring it's not a very like uh, thematically exciting action to just convert one resource into another but i suppose yeah, no, necessary. no one used them in our games but jamie I mean, i'm surprised you said you, you actually used that so how, what was your experience there i ended up using it once um i think it was just incidental i, I wasn't like looking to collect spice but again okay. being able to basically only play on arrakis i was kind of stuck with a lot of spice. <laughs> so, you know, like, I, I feel like there's not a ton you can do with Solari in the late game. Yeah. Um, especially when you get the high council seat, you know, there there are things in the game that almost 
I won't say it makes it completely arbitrary, but like borderline so, because um, it's not even the resource that you're buying cards with. Right. And I, mm. I would say is probably one of the most fundamental differences between a game like Arnak and a game like Dune Imperium, because the 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 resource that you're buying cards with in other deck builders is also a resource that you can generate. So it does it, it fluctuates a lot more in a way that it's not luck based like it is in Dune Imperium, where if you draw into the right cards, you will have a turn where you can buy a lot of cards off of the marketplace. Yeah, yeah you can sort of bank that currency in Arnak, which is yeah, absolutely unusual. Yeah. Um, and I found I had a lot of that with the Fremen strategy, but the problem was I also had a lot of Solari, but not much else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> so I, I used it and it was cool. It was really satisfying to be able to turn in like the max amount of spice and get the max amount of Solari back. But then I was like, to what end? cool. Now what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good points. Speaking of the resource types, um, this game, because of its, um, you know, fixed turn length and, you know, like really minimal number of points that you end a game with. I love a game that you end the game with 10 points, not 410 points. Mm, every point, <laughs> yeah, every point counts. Game. And I think there's a lot of tiebreakers as a result. So what are the yes, what are the tiebreakers? Yeah. It's um spice first, right? Obviously, yes. yes. I think it's spice, Solari, water, and then like cubes on the battlefield or something like that, I believe. Right. So but like yeah, tiebreakers definitely do matter. One of the games I played was a three-way tie for first. Two of us were still tied on spice, and so it went to the Solari tiebreaker. So like that's definitely a consideration to like knowing that it's going to be a close end, you really have to be thinking about like banking a bunch of Solari or Spice at the end of the game may actually be a legitimate strategy. I I actually had a card um, that I lucked into right near the end of the game and it was called Tiebreaker. <laughs> um, and it was really great because it was either, I think it was like four daggers or it was like five Spice or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> I was like, that is just such a cool card. Like, I don't know if it would have been as cool if I didn't draw it in the last two rounds, uh-huh. <laughs> but it, it certainly was like really neat to be like, man, they really did think of like everything in this, you know? Cause I was like, I was certain that I was going to win that last combat and it would have secured the win for me. I didn't, <laughs> Oh, but that, <laughs> you know, I was like, I had the card the tension though. Right. That was like, yeah, right. It's like this, I don't know. It's this attention to detail. It's, I, I won't say it's like done with more care than other games. Cause it, it's just very, very good design. Uh, it, it just feels like they knew very intimately the source material and they they did a very good job of building the game to fit that source material. Yeah, I really respect a game that does a lot with a little. And, and obviously, mm-hmm. if it really honors the source material, especially as a licensed game as well, all the better. So, you know, spoiler alert, you know, I have I have good feelings about this game. It's probably been obvious from my glowing <laughs> comments about it, but uh, I really recommend this game. I like Arnak. I still enjoy and play Arnak, but uh, if I had a, a handy digital way of playing this, then I would play this uh, more if I got the chance, or, or better yet. Mm, yeah, I'd, I'd love an online version of this, yeah. I, I will say I don't know how well that all that comes across if you're not a fan of the IP. Sure. Like it's, it's gonna, a lot of that's going to be lost on you. <laughs> that's a good point. It's got to be more enticing than that other sci-fi game that we covered. But to the moon, beyond the sun, beyond the sun, yeah. Oh yeah, beyond the sun. Beyond the sun was uh, fun and a crunchy, interesting puzzle, but it's dry as heck. Mm. Dry. It, it seems yeah. very dry. Drier than this desert-based say- game. 
so Arnak, we've spent a bit of time punching down Arnak, uh, but like one thing he does really well is each of the cards, the, each individual card in Arnak does feel very thematic. Like I think it's the grappling hook, for example, gets you a bunch more cards. Or there's the, the car or the turtle that's really good for traveling. And so each card, like, and like you don't need to be familiar with the, like there's no IP to be familiar with. Each card, like you know exactly what it does. You can tell by the picture and the description what it, what vaguely roughly what it, what it does. So that it's sort of more accessible in that sense than. Arnak, it's like, well, why is Gurney really good at getting you soldiers? Like, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't know the, the IP, that's um, a really good point. That's a really <laughs> good point, especially since we've been kind of, you know, beating the drum for for Arnak here. I think that's a very, very good thing to point out. Um, what does this game look like to somebody who doesn't really know or care about the IP versus a game like Arnak that you said, like you said, very aptly, doesn't have an a reference source of, you know, for, for an IP to be based off of. I think that that's something I didn't consider. That's something I'm going to be thinking about for a while. <laughs> Why is Thanos here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, right. But you know what? Uh, to, I might even take that argument to the flip side and say, if you want a thematic but easy-to-play deck-building game that's light and breezy, I would recommend Eldorado. A Quest for uh-huh. Eldorado by Reiner Knizia. That game, like, plays so smoothly... The graphic design is even simpler for the cards than uh, even uh, Arnak is. And it's, I think, more thematically accurate. You you go on this wild adventure, this race to grab the idol. And in Arnak, sometimes I feel like I'm doing more like accounting and, um, mm. you know, uh, airplane flight ticket purchasing than, than actually, uh, you know, slashing through a jungle and having an adventure. <laughs> Maybe that's me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will say when I, when I first played Dune, like I played this a couple of years ago when it first came out, and I was actually pretty lukewarm on it. But I've, I've, it's really grown on me this one. Whereas, whereas Arnak, I've grown lukewarm on Dune Imperium has really grown on me. I'm really to, like I'm, I'm more familiar with the the IP just by playing this game now, <laughs> um, because each card is so thematically built in. Like I, I have, it, it gives a good sense of what the character is about just by what the card does, for example. So I think I, one of I the fun really things too about playing with people who aren't familiar with the IP is there's an entire like satisfaction level based around their attempts at pronouncing the words yeah. <laughs> that, are unique, that are unique to this IP. So good. Atreides. Atreides. <laughs> Atreides. CH? What is that? <laughs> Love it. Oh, man. You know, it was another thing I was thinking of is I wonder if you could house rule this. This game does feel a little bit long, like it can easily go two hours. I wonder if you can yeah, house rule yeah. it to do, be eight points in eight rounds. What do you think about that? Well, I know there's an epic mode that goes to t- 12 rounds. Um, but I, at the same time, I feel like it escalates so quick. Like towards the end of the game, you're getting so many more points that it sort of escalates regardless so that it wouldn't actually drag on that much longer. Those last couple of rounds, you, you're getting a lot more points at the start of the game. True. But if you give some people uh, starting resources, you could uh, ramp up the the uptake on the early rounds, too. Yeah. yeah I, I also really like that the push and pull of the faction, um, mm. you know, the, the loyalty tokens near the end of the game got really cutthroat and it just felt really cool. Yeah, um, I love because that. Because, again, for someone who had virtually no way to go to those locations... The fact that I was able to hold on to one of them, the only one that I was focusing on, was <laughs> still very difficult. You know, it's like 
I don't know. It's just a really cool mechanic. Um, I loved that back and forth. Hmm. It's a great and, element and, you of know, interaction like, outside of the combat. It, well, and it gets it gets to be kind of a cold war too, because you're uh, like, yeah. <laughs> Oof, they're stockpiling a lot of resources. They might, you know, make that final run to to lock in that that token, and then I can't challenge them anymore. You know, you you it forces you to, you know, because it, it could be really tempting, I think, to to like hyper focus on the combat portion of the of the turn round um but if you it, that that particular mechanic i feel forces you to to really take a hard look at the politics of the game i guess or or rather the de facto politics which is to say how people are using their resources i, I won't say it's like direct politicking around the table <laughs> or anything but you know it, it, it's like oh that person is you know like finding a lot of ways to go to the Bene Gesserit spot and you know, I just cleared the, the the gold zone. So you actually, you know, you got a point or two for for being there. But, you know, you're within striking distance of permanently earning that um, that reputation token. And then there's like one less token, one less point for your opponents to be able to, to secure. Um, so it gets to be this kind of like you're fighting a war on so many different fronts by the end of it, which it just feels really good. Oh, and if you can snatch back that, that <laughs> faction token from someone you were... Oh, it's a huge Close swing. To, it's a two-point <laughs> swing, right? Because you go up one, they go down mm-hmm. one. And it's such a triumphant feeling. I, I had that recently, <laughs> and it just feels so darn good. Player interaction, uh-huh. that's an amazing thing. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I really enjoy that in yeah. this game. And I, it, 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 this game can really come down to a single battle, a single card that with, with a sword that went into a single battle. Like It, it is so tightly wound <laughs> that it can all come down... To, to one decisive moment in uh, it, it, it's, it's because every, everyone's engaged in the battle at, at all times pretty much so it's a it's good, good fun <laughs> right so i feel like we've covered a, a lot of ground here um is it a good time to talk about our closing feelings about this game yeah yeah i think i've, I've we've covered most of it all right well i'll go quickly because i think i've said most of it i like this game i recommend this game uh i'm enjoying it a bit more than arnak these days and this game is like on paper this is my ideal game Love worker placement, love deck building. I love like crunchy combos and I love just a little bit of player interaction, just enough to keep it spicy. Uh, yeah, so this is ideal for me right now. I just want to play some more. Sorry, Jamie? I'm really looking forward to getting to the table again. Um, preferably if people are feeling brave enough with the expansions. Um, I'm not 100% certain what they add aside from other characters. I know there's another mechanic that one of them does introduce to it, uh, but I kind of want to get more experience with the base game before I dive into that. Now, that said, I do think the base game is super, super satisfying in a way that um, some of the other games we mentioned tonight aren't. However, the downside is the is the the time you know it takes to play something like this versus... You know, and maybe that's just my experience with the other games we've mentioned, um, you know, being able to get through them a lot quicker. Maybe that will change. But I do really feel like having played it at four players, it performs the best at that count. So I, I would I'd be worried to see how it plays at lower player counts. I'm yeah. interested to see. Yeah. Um, Certainly a caveat. It, right. And and I guess th- those are worth taking into consideration. That said. You know, I have a lot of positive feelings about this game. I there's a reason that I, I feel very validated in like <laughs> being drawn to it, like like subconsciously, despite uh, not knowing anything about it before I, you know, I borrowed it from Arwen. So <laughs> um, I, I like it. I will definitely be playing it again. 
Excellent. Well, I, I have played the first expansion, uh, the, the Rise of Ix, and I, I won't get too much into it, but I, I played it more with the expansion than without. I do think it it is largely a, a very positive experience. It, it replaces those two top locations, like the one that where you spend a bunch of uh, spice to get a bunch of Solari with a whole other mechanic of uh, this, this shipping track. With, uh, with which is this adds a whole other interesting decision of basically you're investing in this track and when you decide to cash out and, and get benefits is, is a whole other decision uh it gives you these technology tiles that are like a couple dozen technology tiles that all give you some unique benefit so you can really build some interesting new engines in the game and there's these dreadnoughts that are these uh basically big big ships that go onto the battlefield and they don't they aren't destroyed at the end like regular soldiers are so they're really beefy combat units so it, it just tweaks the engine in in some subtle ways but all in all it's just more interesting decisions to be had uh i i really enjoy that one the combat can be divisive there can be hard feelings there will be some battles that some people will just like feel (laughs) the bad luck of the draw you just you you, you just never see a combat card and you really didn't feel like you had any agency over that uh so that they they, be mindful of that if someone is sensitive to being to to, to take that (laughs) this might not be the game for them uh but all all, it's it's a fantastic game uh, Daniel, you want to tell us about their next video game? We're going to take a t- take a take a step back and, and, and look at a, a lighter game for a little bit because we've had such a busy few weeks. That is Tiny Kin. It's a, an indie platformer game. It came out middle of last year, I think it was. It is on Game Pass. So throw another coin in the in the Game Pass bucket there. But I, I've played a little bit already. It's very very cute little two D animation style, and I, I love a good platformer. It feels a little, a little bit like Pikmin, Pikmin. It's or a, it's a Pikmin, uh, like. Overlord is uh, my my point of reference. But yeah, right. I played a little bit of it, and it's super cute. I think uh, I think you should uh, look forward to. It. I'm looking forward to playing some more. Uh, <laughs> but that's uh, enough about our next game, uh, Jamie. I want to thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It was fantastic learning more about you, uh, what you do on your Twitch stream. At um, you can find it at Twitch.tv/slash Jamie Daggers. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm basically I, I lucked out and I got that username everywhere. So <laughs> if 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 you look for that on basically any social media, you'll find me. Perfect. And is there anything else you'd like to shout out to our audience? Anything going on or upcoming streams you have? Um, nothing in particular. I usually stream Mondays and Wednesdays during uh, what I guess are work hours for most people. Uh, or I mean, East Eastern time. You know, we're the <laughs> we're the important ones, right? Oh, clearly. Um, no, but I, I stream <laughs> noon to five on Mondays and Wednesdays, and then my Thursday evenings uh, tend to be my more involved streams from eight to midnight, all Eastern times. I usually try to have somebody from the uh, the game industry on to interview or. Um, you know, play a game with or something like that on my Thursday night streams. Most recently, I had um, a community manager for Brotherwise and a bunch of other games, uh, Maddie and um, oh, new community manager, manager for Resonim, um, Olivia, on to play Empire's End, um, the new John uh, Clare game. That was quite a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, th- those tend to be my favorite ones, and those tend to be the ones that I, I, I do board games on. So um, Thursday nights are the the easiest to attend and also my favorite. So I can't recommend those enough. So cool. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks yeah, again. I've, I've enjoyed uh, many of your streams myself. Uh, your your inspiration you. to, to work at my own miniature painting, <laughs> which I'm, I'm, I I'm, love very, that. I'm, I'm very slow at, but uh, I'm, I'm making some progress there. <laughs> I highly recommend too. 
Uh, if you're going to find yourself at a convention that you know I'm going to be at, I'm, I'm pretty uh, upfront, like as early as I can to let people know what conventions I'm going to. Uh, and when I go to a convention, I try to uh, sweet talk them into letting me teach a class. So keep <laughs> up for my classes at PAX, they sold out in minutes. Um, yeah. I was told that registration started at 8 a.m. And by 8.01, it was full, um, <laughs> which is just wild to me. Um, I think it was more about just mini painting than, than, you know, any name recognition because there's virtually <laughs> none. <laughs> but um, all that said, I am very close to 500 followers on Twitch. So it'd be really cool to hit that. Um, so if you enjoy that kind of content, I highly recommend you, you come. It's a very collaborative experience. I like to encourage people, you know, Daniel, like yourself who come in and ask questions about painting, why I do certain things. I love teaching about painting. I love talking about it when I'm not doing it. I'm thinking about it. So I am here to help, uh, spread a good word, you know. That's so cool. Absolutely, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Let's, let's help you get over that hurdle. So go, go, go follow Jamie on Twitch. Yeah, and my oldest is uh, getting into uh, miniatures painting, so you have at least one more follower right there. When, when ah, you, I love it. When you mentioned wargaming earlier, I was going to say, Mark, you're, he's probably getting into Prime Warhammer age now. Right. <laughs> Are you talking about miniatures and chucking tons of dice? I think it's right up there, Ali, for sure. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. So as for us, you can follow us at Omni Gamers Club on Twitter and you can email us. Please send more feedback at omnigamersclub at gmail.com. For as long as Twitter is still around. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's a big if. And uh, of course, I want to thank you again, Jamie. And I'm trying out a new sign off. It's until yeah. next time, have a balanced diet of gaming. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thanks, Jamie.